If a small flock of cartoon bluebirds didn't help you get dressed this morning, that just means you haven't yet listened to Fine Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor. No, the black dress slacks, please. Thank you. And now, Jim Hill. Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and we're here with a special edition because we've just had the Oscar nominations come out, and I can't say, Drew, that I'm all that surprised at at how things shook out. No, not at all. I mean, should we go through the the nominees? Actually, I want to thank you. Drew was kind enough to hook me up with a a screener of Mirai. I want to get... The name right, Marau Hosado film? Yes. I genuinely enjoyed that. That was a charmer. It's sort of a, it's hard to call it a coming-of-age film because the kid's four years old. (laughs) Right. But he's upset that his baby sister, Marai, has come into his world and upset his routine. But the film has this wonderful fantasy element of drifting to the past, drifting to the future, and the, the lessons that Kuhn, the four-year-old, learns from his grandfather, from his dog, from his his sister, from the future. And yes. it's actually really well done. And it was out in Japan, I want to say, back in... Um, well, it premiered at the director's fortnight at Cannes yeah. last May. Yeah. And then I think it's been okay. rolled out last year. It was released in Japan in July of last year. And I guess the stateside, it started at stateside run in November. It hasn't exactly burned up the box office. No, but at least at least you know now to stop hitting your sister with your toy train. I think that this that's, is true. I think that's a big <laughs> takeaway. <laughs> yeah, yes. It's going to be interesting to see how many parents with small children are going to default to this movie. Like, here, sit down and watch right. this. All right. Yeah, but Mariah, Mariah was the big surprise, I think, right? Mm. Did you think that something else was going to be in that fifth slot? The, Gre- the Grinch, maybe, or... Hotel Transylvania 3, I thought, had a shot. It's really not fair in a year where we've got Incredibles 2 and Ralph Breaks the Internet and they had to say, well, now it's a sequel. Right. It had no shot. It's a tough category. And again, we're stuck with just the the five slots. And if you think about it, we've got Isle of Dogs, the Wes Anderson, and it's been nine years since the Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yes. One of my favorite movies. Ever. It's the combination of the roll doll and, and the stop motion. I mean, it just, for me, I love dogs. It's going to be really interesting given the racial stereotype knock that crept into the mix once that was out in theaters back in, what was it, April, May? Yeah, yeah April. April. Last year, yeah. And the only movie that is in the animated feature category that's nominated in a different category, which uh, Alexander Desplat's score was nominated mm-hmm. for Best Original Score. No, none yeah. of the other movies got any other uh, nominations in any other categories. So that is that is something to note about Isle of Dogs. That definitely says a lot about the project, that it made it outside of its category. Right. Incredibles 2 had an amazing run. At $1.2 it's the highest grossing domestic, I want to say. Is that mm-hmm. right? Uh, yes, or... I believe so. Yeah. And of course, uh, Ralph is chugging along. In fact, it, at this point, the worldwide box office is sitting... At 4.58, which actually, put, weirdly enough, puts it within spitting distance of the original that had a worldwide gross of 4.71, which I thought it did better than that. Nope. But, <laughs> nope. 
Close, but no cigar, yeah. I kind of fell in love with a place called Slaughter Race, and I, I was kind of hoping in the best song category it would pop up. I but know. Didn't get there. Didn't get there. and But we got the, a Mary Poppins return song in there, so there's yeah, that. Yeah, if you were going through that score, and you were picking the one to push... The place where lost things go? Yeah, that over... would not have been my choice. I would have picked maybe Trip a Little Light Fantastic or the Royal Dalton Music Hall or Cover is Not a Book, but they went with that and God bless them. <laughs> We're coming up in the 30th anniversary of, of The Little Mermaid this year, so I've been doing some research on that one out ahead. And that year, they actually put two songs up from the score. They put up Kiss the Girl, and the one that ultimately won was Under the Sea. They were both performed on stage by Jeffrey Holder. Wow. <laughs> you know, Mr. Seven Up, the, I want to say also be, probably best known for our generation of film lovers, is the fill-in from Live and Let Die. <laughs> but of course, you want the giant, bald, seven-foot black man on stage singing, you know, Kiss the Girl. Right. So um, studios make choices, and it's just sort of like, that was the one, again, or the place where they had nowhere to go but up. They had, imagine, can you imagine that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, these yeah. things that lent themselves to big production numbers on stage at the Dolby Theater, and now we're going to get we're the place where lost things go. If I were Mark Shaman, would, would I even bother to rent the tux knowing <laughs> that? You know, just, right. It'll be an interesting show. But, I mean, the obviously the fifth uh, nominee in the best feature category is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which we both yeah. adore. And I did not think it was a lock, even for a nomination, just because of what happened with the Lego movie a few years ago. Mm-hmm. It was not even nominated for Best Animated Feature at the 2015 Oscars. And it's, you know, a lot of the same creative team. And I think that it, what helped Spider-Man is that it was it was released later mm-hmm. because, as you know, Oscar voters have notoriously short memory spans. And it really has captured the zeitgeist in a way that the Lego mm-hmm. movie did not. I mean, not box office wise, but just mm-hmm. its message, its kind of hopefulness, the diversity in the in the movie. Yeah, I think it's a strong contender to win. It's interesting to note that Disney or Pixar has won for the fa- the past six years straight and mm-hmm. uh, won the past, out of the 11 years that this category has been on, they've won the last 10. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Weren't you the one pointing out that this is the one nomination Sony got this year? Yeah, yeah. So sorry, Hotel Transylvania 3. Well, again, I would really love to see this happen. And again, it's not a lock. The Golden Globe is a nice indication that there are people out there who, like us, love this movie and would love to see it succeed. But right. to sort of pivot to the the animated shorts, Right. what did you think there? I mean, you know, uh, look. I haven't I, seen I think very we, many of these. Have you seen any of these? I mean, besides Bao. Obviously, both seen Bao. Yeah. <laughs> but what was the one that you were most intrigued by? Well, I was, I'm intrigued by Weekends, which is by Trevor mm-hmm. Jimenez. And it's part. it was directed as part of the Pixar co-op situation where they, like, lend their equipment to artists who then produce shorts on their free time, essentially. Mm-hmm. The other two nominees that came out of this program were The Dam Keeper and Borrowed Time. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing that. Jimenez is a Pixar story artist, so, I mean, there's, like, a real pedigree there. You notice that the DreamWorks short did not get on there. Yeah. Which is okay. (laughs) That short is not very good. That's, in a a weird sort of way, the remaining artifact of, you know, a feature that gets shut down over there. And it just, 
filled with all of these amazing character designs and wonderful locations. And it's a strange story. It doesn't quite work. But at the same time, like it was great to see it and just have something come out of those years and years of work on on that feature. Yeah. So we'll watch all of the shorts before before yes, the award yes. show for sure. But yep. um yeah, I mean we obviously love Bao Dummy is actually in LA tonight doing a, a talk about uh, female filmmakers in Hollywood. So she's great. She's obviously got a feature in the works and um mm. There's a lot of heavy hitters in this cartoon saloon did did one of them, one called Late Afternoon, and I've heard mm-hmm. a lot of great things about One Small Step, so we'll have to uh, catch up soon and talk about okay. those on the show. But did you, uh, what do you think of the visual effects category? Black Panther gets seven nominations, and yet doesn't get one in visual effects. Yeah. Yet, on the other hand, if you look at it, you know, Infinity Wars, that's its only award, and you have to assume, given how it did at the box office, this is going to be the consolation prize. What did you think of the other ones that got the nod, though? Christopher Robin getting a nod was kind of bizarre. Yeah. Especially when things like Aquaman mm-hmm. were not even included in the shortlist. I thought that was kind of weird. Um, did you, you ended up seeing Aquaman, right? Yeah, and it has wonderfully trippy effects. Yeah. I get why Christopher Robin would get a nod. Also, Last Jedi, right? If I remember correctly. Uh, no, solo. no, solo. 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 Yeah. For three Disney projects to get the visual effects award and nothing for Aquaman. And I know, I know it's fashionable in Hollywood to look down your nose at the whole DC universe thing. But three Disney projects, you and I both know how the voting for Academy Awards works. That traditionally there's sort of a studio effort. Yes. Everyone who works in the studio, associated with the studio, will be in that voting block. So you've got three different projects that are going to be splitting that vote. So what are the chances that something else is going to slip in here? Yeah. Which brings us to, what's the other one in the category here? Ready Player One, which I really like that movie a lot. And about mm-hmm. 40% of that movie is an ILM animated movie. So I'm, I'm very into that nomination. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. we have the subtle nod, which is mm-hmm. to First Man the movie about the moon landing, which has really subtle but really cool visual effects. And they like to, you know, reward that every so often. Yeah, it was just interesting that sort of heavy hitters like Jurassic World didn't get Mm -hmm. in there. Welcome to Marwin probably didn't have a chance, but things like Fantastic Beasts, movies that are more sort of outwardly special Mm effects-y, didn't get it, mm-hmm. but First Man did. So I think that's very cool. I agree. Yeah. When we all finally get our hands on the screeners and the Blu-rays and the DVDs, that's going to be a fascinating one to watch to see whether or not they break out the effects. Because like you said, so much of that movie is going to be set extensions and things that you wouldn't anticipate or, or effects work. So what do you think? Is it, you know, with the three Disney, I mean, again... In a normal year, and provided there weren't two other Disney films in the category, right. I'd have to assume Infinity would take it. Yeah, but. I think that that's going to do it. I mean, I think that that's a movie that you can see how many how many people sort of stayed up late nights trying to finish it and bled mm-hmm. onto the screen. And not to mention the the amount of visual effects companies that handled things in oh, God, Infinity yeah. War. ILM, Digital Domain, Framestore, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. How long were the credits for that again? I want to say 10 minutes, 12 minutes. Yeah. I think it's Infinity Wars category to lose, but mm-hmm. they do love giving movies that do have the sort of more subtle effects, and I think that could be First Man. I mean, it's the same guys that did the effects for Interstellar, and 
I think there have been enough Star Wars movies nominated uh, recently. But my heart is kind of with Ready Player One. I really think that movie is a lot of fun and and kind of oddly underrated. Mm -hmm. And it's on HBO like every day now, which is a complete joy. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that's where I would that's where that's where my heart is. But I think that Infinity Mm -hmm. War is going to take it. Okay, well, I'm kind of in the same ballpark you are. I appreciate all the work that went into Infinity Wars, but if in the end it's Ready Player One or if it's it's First Man, I can be a relatively happy guy. Right. Of course, I hope to be a relatively happy guy this weekend because they're starting to do advanced screenings of uh, the Lego Movie Two, the second piece. Yeah, I didn't realize that, but I read about it today. That's going to be on the twenty sixth. But mm-hmm. if you went and saw it, please let us know mm. what you think. You got to see this. Oh, right? I was at the very first screening last night. All right, let's jump to a quick commercial here. And when we get back, Drew will share his thoughts. All right, now, was this another one? On the Warner's Lot thing, or what? No, was it? I wish it was at the Warner's Lot because then I could have walked there, but unfortunately, it was not. It was at a screening room in, on Wilshire, and it was mm-hmm. great, and mm-hmm. I really, really loved it. Obviously, at the end of the first movie, they set up this conceit that mm-hmm. there's humans that are interacting. I mean, you remember this, right, with Will Ferrell oh, sure, and, sure, and sure, the sure. son and yeah. all that. Mm-hmm. So they really play mm-hmm. with that aspect uh, in this movie, and you sort of have these competing points of view between the son playing with Legos and then his younger sister, who obviously introduced the Duplo figures at the end of the first movie, and then there's a, a mm-hmm. huge time jump in the movie five years later, and you see them kind of interacting. And it's this really amazing kind of story about, you know, maturing but not giving up your kind of childlike wonder. And there's even a reference to the Batman Lego movie. At one point, Batman says, I'm going to go off on my own adventure, which kind of contextualized that movie as a mm-hmm. something that the kid did. And, and Lord Miller were there after the movie and, and really spoke thoughtfully about it. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that it's hard to keep some gas in the tank for these movies. Mm -hmm. There's been a very long kind of tortured production history for the sequel that lost directors. Rob Schraub was was attached at one point. And and, Mm -hmm. uh, the guy that created BoJack Horseman contributed to the script, but that has no final credits. So it seems like this was a tough one to crack, especially maybe after Mm -hmm. the disappointment of the Lego Ninjago movie. But it's really, really fun, and I can't wait for you to see it. And tell me your thoughts afterwards, too. The charm of the first Lego movie and and, and actually continued on into the Lego Batman movie and to a lesser extent than Ninjago was just that kind of left-handed charm, that combination of it's legitimately entertaining, but at the same time it's very knowing about how goofy it is. That's a lot of plates to spin, Right. And they pulled it off this time around again, right? Oh, yeah. It's it's really great. And they took some real chances. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more music in this one, including mm-hmm. some original songs. And, yeah, I mean, it, it makes it a viable world to continue. I mean, I know that one of the kind of, like, most heartbreaking projects that never was is the Billion Brick Race. Have you ever read about this? Which was, it, it was sort of a Lego. It's a madman, madman world. And it was co-written and going to be directed by Drew Pierce, who uh, worked on Iron Man 3 and made Mm -hmm. the really great sort of underrated thriller this Mm -hmm. summer called Hotel Artemis, Mm -hmm. which sounds really fascinating and awesome. But that, I guess, is not is not happening. But I still think that that this does show you that there's a lot of room left in the Lego universe to play. 
pun very much okay. intended. Yeah. So I hope you go see it this weekend and then we can talk we can talk more about it. I'm just kind of intrigued that it's arriving at the market just ahead of we've got that Lego World Land that'll be opening at the Lego Land Florida. Oh yeah. Maybe the Lego people will send us down there. Send us to Florida. We want to go to Lego. If we're going to do theme park worlds and people are picking up the tab, shouldn't we be campaigning for Shanghai? Yeah, we really should. We really should. Because just yesterday, the news broke about the Zootopia land, which... Well, we knew some land was coming somewhere. Because when, we when we were back at Conservation Station, whenever that was, a couple of summers ago... We were talking about how that was that was being quietly kind of earmarked as a potential Zootopia land, but it'll be at Shanghai first. So why don't you spill well, what, spill what you know, Jim? Now is the time. If you look at Shanghai Disneyland, when you enter that park, you're not on Main Street. You're in Toontown, basically. Mickey Town, right? Yeah. But again, you know, one of the reasons that you enter and exit through that area with the classic Disney characters is the Chinese really don't know these characters. That's why you sort of double dip. You encounter them the way in, you encounter them the way out, and hopefully you fall in love and you buy a Mickey plush. But if you go through the rest of the park, I mean, it's things like you don't have a Space Mountain, you have a Tron coaster. It's all about IPs that are familiar to the Chinese, and Tron Legacy was only, what, 2010? Right. When you talk with Imaginers who worked on this project, they said it was like a primary color palette. We tended to build our attractions around movies that we knew had been released in China. Kingdom Hearts 3 is going to be dropping in a couple of days. And you know the whole issue with the Chinese premiere and Winnie the Pooh, his sensitivity oh, about yes. Oh, yes. Oh, right. Alice found this piece of art that they're using to promote the game in China. And the interesting thing is there's at least one segment of the game where... The Sora and Donald and Goofy get to go into the get the Hundred Acre Woods. And the interesting thing is the piece of promotional art shows Kenga, it shows Piglet, it shows Rabbit, it shows Sora. And then there's this white blob in the middle where somebody has, has erased Winnie the Pooh. Oh, poor Winnie. <laughs> that's another character that's going to show up in that park. Right. It's all about which properties they're familiar with. And so, okay, Toy Story 3... Played well in China. That was the the next land that got added, added to the park after it opened. And right now, Zootopia is the highest grossing animated feature that's ever been released in China. So from Disney's point of view, this was a no-brainer. It's the set of characters they're familiar with. We're looking to add new, a new land and to add capacity. So this is what we go with. You look at the plans for Walt Disney Studios Paris. They're putting in their version of Galaxy's Edge, but what's right alongside it? A frozen land. You know, the right. likewise, if you look at the expansion for Tokyo, it was fascinating to watch the pushback there where, what are you guys putting in there? And it's like, well, it's tangled. It's frozen. And it's Beauty and the Beast and that sort of thing. So it's it's all about what works in that territory. And, and here in the States, we're far more familiar with a deeper Disney catalog. Right. So, for example, we could do a Seven Dwarfs Mine Train because we're familiar with Snow White, but it's interesting when you look at that ride system when it's going overseas, it's Wandering Oaken's Runaway Sled. Right. <laughs> but, of course, for stateside theme park fans, they were upset because it's like, this land gets built over the here. When are we getting it? 
my understanding was this was always intended for Disney's Animal Kingdom because that's not a very kid-friendly park. In fact, when you and I were down for our Pixar event this past fall, and we took the folks to see the bird show that had just been retooled around the up characters. They had a Russell and Doug on stage. Oh you know. God, that was terrible. Yeah. It was, it was. And then, you know, when we went over to Dino Land USA and they had done that temporary all summer long. Oh, the Donald, Donald thing? Yeah. yeah. This is a park that is desperately trying to make itself more kid-friendly because the last thing that was added, Avatar, the world of Pandora, that's really skewing more adult. Yeah. Let's jump ahead five years. Are we going to see Zootopia? Yeah. You know, but at the same time, we will probably see Zootopia in Florida more behind the... Are we allowed to talk about the Zootopia sequel yet, or are we pretending that it... <laughs> well, I will just say that there is... There seems to be a concerted effort by the company. Did you notice today that they put out that Wreck-It Ralph kind of Easter egg video? And it was all about Zootopia characters in Wreck-It Ralph 2. So, mm. to me, to me, if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly... It mm-hmm. seems like they're gearing up for another Zootopia or potentially a Zootopia show. I mean, they've had huge success with the Big Hero 6 animated series. So, Oh, no doubt. No doubt. But there yeah, I think that we I think it's a safe bet that that we're returning to the with the world of Zootopia. It's a billion dollar franchise. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. And again, and that's the way Bob J. Pick works. It's like what what you make it past the, the billion point, yes, you know, you were going back into the parks. Right. And, and it's an Oscar winner for best animated feature. We there have. we go. Yeah. So the wording on the kind of press release was that there would be one e-ticket attraction in this land. Mm-hmm. And then obviously shops and eateries, which are becoming more and more important in the sort of Disney portfolio. But do you have any idea what that ride system is or what what you'll be experiencing on this Zootopia attraction? I have been told from multiple sources that Clawhauser is sort of your introductory character, that this was going to be another sort of Star Tours-y experience. But the, the difference being for this next generation version, do you remember the uh, Toontown Transit project? I, I dream about the Toon, Toontown Transit project every night course you're in a vehicle where you're looking out multiple windows they've been working on the story for a number of because face it you cannot physically build the entire city of zootopia in fact one of the challenges here is if you look at the the concept art you know you're in one of the smaller neighborhoods in fact i guess for a time they were talking about okay let's put them in little rodentia and then it was like, well, wait a minute. If we put them in a little rodentia, that means that Judy Hobson has to be 30 feet tall. And it's like, <laughs> that's not going to work. Okay. Yeah, never mind. So what you're basically doing is you're going to be in kind of a, for lack of a better term, sort of a Times Squaresy area with a couple of buildings that you know. and But you're going to be able to see off in the distance the towers that we all know from the film. Right. You're going to have your your restaurant experiences and then basically be able to see sort of that municipal building that we know from the first film. And that was where, again, you get to meet Clawhauser and you make your way to a ride vehicle and then you you tour the boroughs of Zootopia. Okay. We already saw in the first film, we saw Judy and Nick doing a patrol in a car and we're suddenly in that moment from star tours with oh i've always wanted to do this right come along and help us find the bad guy right so it's that sort of thing 
Remember, this is for the Chinese market. Right. This is going to be a ride inside of a building. Whenever you talk with anybody who's working on stuff for the parks overseas, they bring up the Space Mountain at Hong Kong issue. I know this sounds like a cliche, but the way Chinese families go to theme parks is they take their one child, the two parents, but they also always tend to bring along the grandparents. Right. So you have basically this party of seven. The grandparents just sort of follow along in the wake of the, the, the parents. And it's just sort of like, okay, you know, whatever you guys are riding, we'll go with you. And so the thing is with Space Mountain, there is nothing outside of that building that said roller coaster. So these, these elderly Chinese people would follow the young parents and their grandchild and get on a ride vehicle and then it would pull into the station and would, there'd be weeping, there'd be crying, there'd be people clutching their chests and it just, it took that much longer to get these very upset people out of the ride vehicle and they were berating the people who worked in the offload area and, you know, it was just a nightmare. And in fact, that's that's really why when you look at the Tron hypercoaster or, or light cycle, right. There's a reason that that's out in the open. The grandparents walking behind the parents with their child, looking up the thing, rolling through the land is like, oh no, I'm not getting on that. I'm going to sit over here on the, the wonderful bench and drink tea. That's right. really one of the reasons why this park has a giant garden in the middle of yeah. it. Grandpa, grandma, sit here. That's the challenge with this ride. Conveying that it's a kind of more of a thrill attraction inside a enclosed building. That's it, exactly. So... There's some, some weird secondary issues building attractions for this market. I've been told a two-and-a-half-year build. Wow. Yeah, they're starting this year, which is great. Yeah. It's going to be on a brand-new, never-used expansion pad, so they'll be able to hit the ground running. But at the same time, given the construction issues that they've had in the past, normally this would be a year and a half out, but you know Disney's like, okay, two-and-a-half years, this will be open. And coincidentally, in two and a half years, they might be another Zootopia movie. Yes. Because, again, we've got Frozen 2 this fall and then supposedly a year with a couple of original properties. In fact, the Pixar film that you and I are both look, so looking forward to. Onward. Uh, Onward. Yeah, there we go. Can't wait for Onward. That's going to be great. Supposedly beyond Onward is where we're going to find Zootopia 2. Okay. And then if what I'm hearing is correct... There is going to be a huge, motherishly grandiose press event uh, associated with Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary, and they will be announcing projects of size for every one of the four Disney theme parks to just sort of say we're celebrating our 50th, but we're going to continue to grow. And don't be surprised if perhaps while they're talking about what would be coming to Animal Kingdom would be a Zootopia land. I'm just saying. Well, I can't suffer the disappointment of the Disneyland decade again. You know, that's just... <laughs> I still watch that video every so often and just think, what could have been? What could have been? All it takes is one significantly large financial downturn. Think about 2008. We had it was gonna be Edison's the Wharf. Thing. Yep. Yeah, I mean, we had all of these things that were announced that didn't happen. I don't know if you saw the financials that crept out just in the, the past week or so, but they're starting to sort of walk out the numbers that are associated 
with Disney Plus and the amount of money that Disney has already sent squirreling down the rat hole. Oh, yeah. So let's all hope that Disney Plus is a success and more to the point that the company is able to coordinate the folding in of all those Fox television and movie assets and get able to monetize that. Because, again, that's 7.1 or the 71.3 billion. Is that the last number? Well, I was going to ask you if you think that there'll ever be another... You know, we talk about animated properties that are turned into theme parks, but it would be great Mm -hmm. to see a theme park property turned into animation. But I just don't think that they're going to build anything that is costing hundreds of millions of dollars without IP for a long time. And Bob Iger has said something similar to that effect recently. But it would be it would be nice to use the theme parks as a farm for, you know, an animated figment show on Disney Plus or whatever it is. Um, I hope we get there at some point. Well, remember, we've got. The Epcot Forever show that is debuting this fall is sort of the, you know, when Illuminations takes its final bow and then they have to start doing all that work on the the Lagoon. And Figment and, and Dreamfinder are supposed to be the hosts of that show. In fact, I don't know if you saw the, the surveys that were guests had been sent who had recently been to the Walt Disney World Resort, where they were feeling them out about, you, you know who Figment is, right? Because you know, we're about to spend an awful lot of money building a show around it. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's just sort of like, you, you're the Purple Dragon. You're familiar with him, right? You've been in that ride? Sometimes when you are you get a Disney survey, you know, you have to wonder, why are you sending me the survey? Or why is the survey worded the way it is worded? Because, you know, they're looking for a certain result. And right. I always worry with a survey like that. It's like, see, they have no idea who Figment is. So don't build the show around him. Let's get Ariana Grande in here. They, they know who she is. <laughs> Disney's greatest creation, Ariana Grande. Yeah. yeah. On that very vague note, why don't we end our Oscar show here? And long story short, we're pulling for Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. I think so. And assuming that Bao takes a bow, but yeah, I, I want to. Uh, yeah, I would love to see a female-led Pixar project get the Academy Award. I think that it will be very good. We forgot to to, to mention the other Pixar project. For those of you who are out in LA right now, oh yes, at the El Capitan. It might be over by the time this airs, so. <laughs> We have to couch well, I, our, I our comments. I want to say that Little Mermaid is now running at the El Capitan through the 30th of the month. Yes. And supposedly paired with that Ron and John movie from 89. Now, it's Pixar Spark. What What is the... Yeah, the so Pixar Spark is like the experimental kind of offshoot. It's like kind of the mm-hmm. black ops of, of Pixar where they try out either new technology or new storytelling techniques. And I believe there are three shorts attached to Little Mermaid, if I am not mistaken. This is, you know, Little Mermaid, a G from 1989. And, you know, if you go to the El Capitan site where they're sort of hyping that in addition to this screening of this Disney, you know, uh, you know the, the film that, you know, one people argue started the second golden age of Disney animation, there are these three Pixar Spark shorts, which little asterisks of the you know, rated PG. Right. But if you miss them, they are going to be rolled out on YouTube, I believe, starting on February 1st. So okay. if you don't get to the El Cap, like don't kill yourself. It'll you'll see them soon. But it's a really exciting program. Lindsay Collins, who produced uh, Finding Dory and is sort of head of uh, kind of new technologies over there, is um, overseeing these, and I cannot wait to watch them. Yeah, there are currently six shorts, and those will, those will all be rolled out on YouTube. But you can see three with uh, Little Mermaid right now at the El Cap. Very cool. 
Okay, well, if you folks get to see them, we'd love to hear your thoughts about them. On behalf of Mr. Taylor and I, uh, thank you for listening to this special Oscar nomination edition of Fine Tuning, and we'll be back with our regular show shortly. Be sure to tune in again for another fine episode of Fine Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor.